please turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 18. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we are working our way through the entire book of Deuteronomy, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're in the middle of Deuteronomy 15 this morning, verses 12 through 15, which addresses the sensitive topic of slavery and uh, what the Bible has to say about how it was regulated within Israel. So Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 18, let's give careful attention to the reading of God's word. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you, For at half the cost of a hired worker, he has served you six years. So the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. Well, it's uh, often assumed today that slavery is a thing of the past. But sadly, that is not the case. Uh, The reality is that uh, millions of people are enslaved worldwide. Uh, Some estimates suggest that over 40 million people are in some form of bondage. The leading cases being through sex trafficking and some form of enforced labor. And just to put that into a bit of perspective, there are only roughly 13 million people in the entire state of Pennsylvania And of course, as Christians uh, living here in the United States, the first thing that comes to mind when we think about slavery is the the horrific and abhorrent institution of race-based chattel slavery. We can't talk about slavery without being confronted by this great and historic uh, injustice. And for good reason. After all, the open practice of race-based chattel slavery... Uh, was in operation here in America for two and a half centuries. That's that's longer than the United States has even been a sovereign nation. Far from being a thing of the past, slavery is with us today. There are approximately 2 million people enslaved in the Americas, 3.6 million enslaved in Europe and Central Asia, over 9 million enslaved throughout Africa, and staggering 25 million in Eastern Asia and Asia Pacific. And today, human trafficking is is big business. 
generating an estimated 150 billion for modern day slave owners. And here in the United States, uh, human trafficking is now competing with drug trafficking as a primary source of revenue for gangs and organized crime. Of course, modern day slavery is different from past forms of bondage. It's often practiced in much more secretive and deceptive ways. For, for the most part, modern day slavery occurs uh, more in secret, less in the open. It kind of flies under the radar, but uh, rest assured that unjust practices and unjust systems still exist. And as Christians, one of the things we have to recognize in the light of this passage is we should care about that. As Christians, we, we are called to care for people who find themselves in bondage regardless of what the shackles are made out of. The church of Jesus Christ, after all, is a society of former slaves. To be a Christian, to be a Christian is to know that you are a former slave who has been set free from the worst kind of bondage and tyranny. And so like the children of Israel brought out of bondage into the blessing of belonging to the Lord, this is our identity. It is our heritage. So I want us to think about this really sensitive subject of slavery today in three parts. Okay, so first, the law of release. Uh, secondly, the command to remember. And third, the blessing of belonging. The first, the law of release. I, one, of the, one of the great challenges right, we face um, when we read what the Bible has to say about slavery is the challenge of interpretation and the challenge of, of translation. Because you know, when we hear the word slavery, immediately our mind is, is, is triggered, evoking the whole history, again, of, of race-based chattel slavery in antebellum America. But Slavery under the old covenant law, we need to understand, was a categorically different institution than what we typically think of when we hear the word. And let me give you at least three reasons for why that's the case. First, slavery in the Old Testament was not based upon racial hierarchy or, or skin color. In fact, according to both Old Testament and New Testament, according to the Bible, God created all mankind in his image, and the entire human race is descended from a single man and woman. Thus, within the biblical worldview, right, within a biblical doctrine of mankind, biblical anthropology, there is a fundamental unity and equality among all people, right, regardless of race, gender, class, age, ability, or disability, all people are bearers of immeasurable worth. Second, second reason is that the driving force behind this passage, Deuteronomy 15, the driving force behind this passage is meant to protect and provide for vulnerable people. You've got to ask the question, what ultimately stands behind this passage? What is the driving concern of this text? It is meant to provide and protect people uh, in staggering 
ways and to provide for them in astonishingly generous ways. It's, it's very easy for us to just, you know, hear the word slavery and then not actually attend to the details of the text. But again, it's fundamentally different from what we find in any other ancient law codes and it is fundamentally different than what we find in Antebellum America. Notice that the text not only limits the length of slavery, this law sets limits on the practice of slavery itself. And and it also underscores and emphasizes the remarkable responsibilities of masters and the, the extraordinary rights of slaves. I want you to look at that perspective here. Much like He spoke to Pharaoh in Egypt. Moses tells masters within Israel, you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. Did the Israelites leave Egypt empty-handed? No, they, they plundered the Egyptians. God provided for them generously. They went out with an abundance of goods. So what we have here in Deuteronomy 15 is the institution of a kind of reenactment of the exodus. Every six years, there's another liberation where the slaves go out free, and when masters let them go free, they were not to go out empty-handed. They were to provide for them generously from the flock, from the threshing floor, and from the wine press. And perhaps most importantly, the law of Moses, it not only upholds the basic idea of human dignity, it it also implies that the most marginalized members of Israel were to be treated as family. The slave in Israel was never simply a slave, but as Moses says in verse 12, he is your brother. Now, think about, there's, there's an entire New Testament letter that is motivated by that impulse. It's Paul's letter to Philemon. It's the heartbeat of his letter to Philemon, this emphasis on brotherhood, which breaks shackles. And third, notice, notice that in Israel, slavery was Voluntary. Slavery in Israel was voluntary. And and you see this in verses 16 and 17. The only way that a person could enter into a state of lifelong servitude is if, if they personally chose to remain in a household, again, on a voluntary basis. And the practice, taking this a step further, the practice of forced labor through man-stealing or human trafficking was a capital offense in Israel that would get you killed, according to Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. Listen to this. It says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Now, one of the remarkable things about that verse is it's not only the one who steals and sells, but it's anyone who is found in possession of that person that has to die according to the law of Moses. And so so the stealing and selling people was strictly forbidden as a capital offense. 
in the New Testament, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 lists man-stealing as a practice that stands opposed to the doctrine of the gospel of the glory of God. It is a gospel issue, brothers and sisters. Moreover, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 and 16, runaway slaves were to be given refuge. I'm choosing my words carefully, so listen. They were to be given refuge whenever and wherever they might choose to require it. So if a slave was mistreated, they could leave their master and everyone else within Israel had a legal obligation to help, to provide for them. That language, in the place that he shall choose, that's taken from Deuteronomy 23. I want you to turn there. Look at these verses with me. Deuteronomy 23, verses 15 and 16. And notice the language, in the place that he shall choose. It's really important, and and frankly, it's it's an amazing thing to see what Moses is saying here. And just as you're turning there, remember my point right now, Um, is that slavery in Israel was voluntary. Okay, so have a look, Deuteronomy 23. Uh, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose, within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. Now, if you've been with us for our series in the book of Deuteronomy, I hope that language of the place that he shall choose is ringing a bell. (laughs) Because this is, in Deuteronomy, it is the language of divine prerogative. It is the language that the Lord himself uses to describe the place where he will cause his name to dwell. It's language that is used 21 times in the book of Deuteronomy, where the Lord will choose a place to cause his name to dwell. And here in Deuteronomy 23, it's not the Lord, it's runaway slaves who exercise this right of personal choice and freedom. So again, who does this? The slave within Israel. Just as the Lord exercises his divine prerogative in choosing his place to dwell, Slaves within Israel choose the place where they will dwell. Frankly, Moses is way too careful an author author to um, make this verbal connection on accident. Now, at a practical level, this meant that if a servant was being mistreated in any way, they could leave their master whenever they wanted and go wherever they wanted, and everyone within Israel was legally required to take them in and give them a place to dwell wherever it suited them. And so, in light of these things, I think it's, it's highly questionable whether we should even use the word slavery to describe what's being prescribed here, because it's just so radically different from anything in our experience, right? In, in contemporary parlance, the, the, even the notion of voluntary slavery sounds like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? 
Sounds like an oxymoron. Voluntary slavery. And so for all of these reasons, under the law of Moses, slavery was a categorically different institution than what we have come to think of when we hear that word. And that brings us to the heart of this passage in verse 15. The second thing I want us to consider, the command to remember. So back in Deuteronomy 15, and in verse 15, we come to the center of this passage where Moses says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. So you see, this moral instruction, it is all based on Israel's redemption out of slavery from Egypt, right? Follow the logic. You were slaves and the Lord redeemed you. Therefore, you must not be like Pharaoh. You must not become like little Pharaohs yourselves and not let people go. Instead, you must be like the Lord and let people go and furnish them generously. Fill their lives with good things. It's the logic of this passage. It's the drama of Israel's redemption that drives the demand here. It's the story that forms the statutes, sets the standards for God's people. And this is what we are called to remember. This is what we as Christians are called to remember, but so often forget that the church of Jesus Christ is a society, a people made up of former slaves. The church is a society of former slaves who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, our Passover lamb. And just think about this, how how different our nation's history might be if Christians would have remembered who we are and where we come from, if we just remember Deuteronomy 15, verse 15. What a profound difference it would have made. The history of slavery in America would not be what it is if the church of Jesus Christ had remembered this basic truth of the gospel that we are a society of former slaves called to care and look out for vulnerable people. I mean, after all, if the gospel is true, and it is, we of all people, we ought to be able to identify with anyone who is in a condition of servitude or oppression. We of all people ought to care for those who are oppressed or abused. This is, this is our heritage. It's part, of, it's part of our fundamental identity that we were once Satan's playthings. We were slaves to sin. And we've been rescued from tyranny, the tyranny of the devil and the deceptions of the world and the power of our own sinful flesh. And the wonder, you see, the wonder of our redemption is that Jesus Christ set us free by himself becoming a slave. As Paul says in Philippians 2, that he took the form of a a slave, of a servant, dying the death of a slave because crucifixion on a cross in the Greco-Roman world was by and large a, a manner of execution that was reserved for slaves. It was too degrading. For, for anyone else. 
but it was by and large reserved for foreigners or for slaves who rebelled against the empire. But Jesus died, and he not only died, he died death on a cross. He went all the way down to set his people free. And so to be a Christian is to know in your heart, to know in your bones that you are a former slave set free. And so whenever the church ceases to care about those who are vulnerable or oppressed or abused or forgotten or exploited, it ought to make us ask, have we forgotten the gospel? Have we forgotten our identity? Have we forgotten our heritage and where we come from? Have we forgotten the story that sets the standard for our lives? And friends, knowing our story as Christians, I think it charts a path forward for us to avoid two unhelpful ways of responding to all of the racial unrest that we see in our nation today, all of the tensions that continue to exist in American society. I think there are at least two ditches that we want to avoid falling into and that this text, particularly Deuteronomy 15, 15, helps us to avoid. The first ditch that we need to avoid is essentially suggesting that our African-American brothers and sisters should simply get over it. Right? Perhaps, perhaps we wouldn't say that in those words, but this is not an uncommon sentiment implicitly expressed in all kinds of ways. And yet, this response, it's, it's not only historically naive, it, it also fails to appreciate the destructive magnitude of two and a half centuries of race-based slavery, then followed by Jim Crow laws, lynching, segregation, redlining, and all other forms of racial injustice. This dismissive approach contradicts the central command to remember where we've come from, to remember that we are a society of former slaves, right? How can we really remember our history as former slaves and not be willing to sympathize with those who continue to experience the generational effects of two and a half centuries of slavery? That's the one ditch. The other ditch that I think we need to avoid in responding to the legacy of slavery here in America is for black and white believers to deny the identity and the unity that we share as former slaves who have been set free in Christ and to remain divided along racial lines, to remain divided along the lines of skin color. The church, the church should strive to be what it in reality is, <laughs> a society of former slaves made up of people of every tribe and tongue and nation united as one man. In Christ Jesus. There's a lot of talk today. Um, there's a lot of talk in our culture right now about racial justice. And a lot of it is discussed and viewed through the lens of what's known as critical race theory. But you know, one of the, one of the fundamental problems of having this discussion through the lens of critical race theory is that it is a theory that is fundamentally graceless. It is fundamentally 
a graceless philosophy that lacks, frankly, lacks the resources of the gospel. And so it cannot hold any real hope for reconciliation and justice. It, it doesn't, it just simply lacks the necessary resources. And so if we turn to that philosophy as a primary resource for addressing this massive problem in our society, it will lead to a graceless and unjust result. And that's something we see playing out again and again in our world. But you see the good news, the good news of the gospel is that in Christ Jesus, we do have the resources. The church really can be a society where reconciliation and justice is seen. The truth contained in Deuteronomy 15, verse 15, it avoids, doesn't it? It avoids both pitfalls of being dismissive or divisive. Remember that you were a slave. Remember that he's your brother. And I wonder though, remember that you were a slave. Do, do you think of yourself that way? And I mean, honestly ask yourself that. Is it part of your conscious thinking about yourself that you were a helpless slave that has been graciously redeemed from the pit and brought to a place of freedom and a place of belonging. I wonder how, how would it change us if we knew that deep down? Remember that you were a slave, but you're not anymore, right? The apostle Paul teaches us to think that way about ourselves, Romans 6, 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. Or Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were once slaves, but we've been set free in Jesus Christ. And so the church is a society of former slaves. And as such, we ought to care about anyone in any kind of bondage. That brings us to the third point I want us to reflect on, the third part of the, these verses, the, the blessing of belonging. I remember during the Heidelberg Catechism, I asked you to hang on to that language of belonging. But first, I think, I think we need to recognize there's a bit of an obstacle that we need to get past here. Right? One, of the, one of the things that makes you know, child abuse so utterly wicked and destructive is that when a parent, uh, especially a father, abuses their child, it, it almost inevitably distorts the way that they see God, right? After all, if your earthly father is a bully or a pervert, how will you be tempted to think about God as your heavenly father? It comes as no surprise that those who experience this kind of Abuse may be tempted to think of God in similarly abusive ways. And I think that same basic principle, right, that same basic distortion can apply when it comes to the idea of belonging to another, right? If our experience of belonging to another has been nothing but negative, or given the history of slavery, the, the thought of belonging to someone else, including God, might even, it might sound like a threat. Right? It, can, it can feel like, like a danger and, and not a blessing. Right? The evil that darkens 
our history and perhaps our own personal experience can make it difficult for us to think of being owned, of belonging to another as a blessing. But I want to ask you a question. Um, Is it possible, is it possible that lives lived under the rule of self-ownership and the reign of what people are calling expressive individualism, is it possible that that might not be in our best interest? Is it, is it possible? Could it, could it be that by belonging to someone else, we might come to possess even more than if we simply belonged to ourselves? I think this is a possibility that we need to consider in the light of Deuteronomy 15, verses 16 and 17. Have a look at those verses. <coughs> it says, <coughs> excuse me, if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household. Since he's well off with you, then you shall take an all and put it through his ear into the door. And he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. Now, again, it is hard for us to imagine anyone freely choosing to become someone else's slave. But this is because, not only because of our history, it's also because we do not understand the blessing of belonging or the utterly terrifying reality of being left entirely to ourselves. We do not understand the blessing of belonging or the dismal prospect of being left to ourselves. To be left to ourselves is actually the ultimate curse, according to the Bible. I wonder if you believe that. What is, what is the ultimate covenantal curse listed in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, Deuteronomy tells us that the ultimate covenant curse is being left to ourselves, unsought and unbought. Deuteronomy 28 Deuteronomy 28 is one of the most frightening chapters in all of the Bible, I think, because it it lists all of the curses that will come upon God's people if they do not keep the covenant. And it's a list that just goes on and on and on for over 50 verses, and to read the whole thing is really nothing short of nauseating. But when you get to the end, the final and climatic curse of the covenant is described in Deuteronomy 28, verse 68. Listen to this. The Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised you should never make again, and there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. That's the, that's the ultimate curse of the covenant. The final curse is not being bought by another and sold to another master. It is being left entirely unsought and unbought, left to our own mastery. And it sure seems, it sure seems that like as a, as a society that we are experiencing this kind of Reality, that we are being left to ourselves. We've been 
left to our own mastery. And friends, that is a very scary place to be. We have been taught by our culture to think that it is the highest, ultimate degree of freedom to be left to our own mastery when in reality it is the worst form of slavery. It is the greatest tragedy of our possessive way of thinking about ourselves because it leads many to reject the good news that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price to belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the good news of the gospel is that we have been sought and we have been bought at a price and that God has set his seal of ownership on us by the Holy Spirit. As we saw in the Heidelberg Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism is right and it's revolutionary. What is your only comfort in life and death? My only comfort is that I am not my own but belong in body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And it goes on to say, all things must work together for my good because I belong to him. Because I belong to him. If you have experienced the saving work of Jesus Christ, you want to say, put your all through my ear. I don't want to leave you. I want to be a member of your household forever. I want to belong in body and in soul to this faithful Savior who paid for all my sins with his own precious blood to set me at liberty. And now that you have been set free, Paul says you have become a slave of God. You belong to a new master and you don't want to go. You don't want to leave because you love him and you understand that in his house there are pleasures forevermore. You want to serve him for the rest of your life because you've been sought and you've been bought to belong to him. And one of the things we need to appreciate is that all of the blessings, really when it comes down to it, beloved, all of the blessings of the gospel are gifts that we receive when we belong to another. When we are not our own, but we belong. It's one of the great surprises of the gospel that we come to possess by belonging. Paul says that, all things are yours, and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. It's one of the great truths of the gospel. To possess, you must first belong. And to know true freedom, you must become a slave of Jesus Christ, who died the death of a slave, so that you might live forever as a son. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of your word and we do grieve the legacy of slavery that casts such a long shadow upon our society and even over the church and her failed witness. But we pray 
Heavenly Father, that uh, more and more we would know in our bones that we are a society of former slaves who've been set free by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are those who have been sought and bought at a price, and so we pray that we would reflect your will revealed in this passage by having a concern for others who are found in vulnerable places. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.